In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I don't know about you, but I have wrestled with the gospel this week. I have wanted to say something clarion and true and sure, like Jesus sure did rise from the dead in this specific way, and here's how you know, and Thomas was silly for doubting. I want to be a a real Christian who doesn't doubt but believes, and then I'll be blessed, just like Jesus says, because I believe the central claim of Christianity, and that's the way it should be. But I really don't know what I think about resurrection. This hasn't been a crisis of faith exactly, but it has been a week of deep questions, even doubts. I'm reminded of a moment in in graduate school, and in seminary this happens kind of a lot, maybe like once a week. You have these minor crises of faith. Everything you thought you could hold on to seems to vanish as you encounter more scholarship and more perspectives and more thinking. And you're left to keep wrestling with the deep questions of God in the world. Now, Tom Troger of Blessed Memory was a brilliant preacher and theologian. He once ran the length of the church back and forth with his hair flopping, pretending to fly a kite without the wind. That one was about the Holy Spirit. But I liked the drama. I liked the artistry. And he had great advice for these kinds of moments. Have a beer, he would say, or other age-appropriate liquid refreshment. (laughs) Read about it. Dig into those questions. Let scratch the itch. Dig deeper. You will learn even more. Your mind will sharpen. Your heart will soften. Your faith will deepen. And that brings me to the point. Doubt is a part of of faith. Doubt is certainly a part of Thomas's faith. Consider the disciples in today's gospel. It's Easter day in the evening, just three days after Jesus's crucifixion. They're huddled in a room with the windows shut and the doors locked for fear. They're petrified that the crowds might come for them too. And sure, Mary Magdalene has told them she has seen Jesus and and the Peter and the other disciple have seen the empty tomb this morning, but the whole crew has yet to see and experience the presence of Jesus. I wonder what they make of the resurrection story. Is it for them an idle tale? And I like to think of myself as a rational, science-based thinker, and I find the resurrection to be nothing short of mysterious. Augustine had similar thoughts, for what it's worth, referring to the paradox, which is to say two things that seem like they can't be true, and yet we believe them to be true. The paradox between death and life. He writes of the great Paschal mystery. And we proclaim it every Sunday as the mystery of faith, not the guarantee of faith, not the warranty and certainty of faith. Therefore, we proclaim the mystery of faith. You know it. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. But how? And when? And where? And why? We simply do not know. 
So we can imagine the disciples shocked when Jesus interrupts their fear with his presence and says, peace be with you. And then receive the Holy Spirit as the Father has sent me. Now I send you into the world. What an incredible testament to resurrection. I still believe that the presence of Jesus interrupts our fear blesses us with the peace of God which passes all mortal understanding and sends us into the world to do God's work in the world by the power of the Holy Spirit. And of course, Thomas isn't there, and he hears about it later. And I feel kind of bad for Thomas because you don't have a believing Peter or a running John, but you do have doubting Thomas. He gets a bad rap. He gets the moniker of doubting He wasn't there. He hears about it later. He says, unless I see the mark of the nail in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. So Jesus returns a week later and Thomas is in the room and they have their moments together and Thomas proclaims, my Lord and my God. And Jesus says, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet come to believe. And so I'm curious, is this passage as troubling for you as it is for me? Do you wonder what happened on Easter Day? Seems like such a major part of the gospel. I want to know. I want to be sure. I want to say, this is what it looked like, and how it worked, and how it happened, and where he went. Renowned New Testament scholar Harry Attridge writes about the various concepts of resurrection in first century Judaism, and he explores different ways the gospel writers try to make sense of resurrection. Fun fact, they do not agree, and several competing concepts make their way into the gospels. Physical resurrection is one option, a body that eats and walks and breathes and sleeps, a heart that had stopped and is now beating again. A soul returning to heaven was another. A ghost-like spirit that can pass through doors, that's a possibility. And I find it truly fascinating that elements of each theory find their way into the Gospels. For example, sometimes Jesus eats breakfast. You need a body to do that, to chew and digest breakfast. Sometimes he has open wounds, but seems otherwise fine, like today. Sometimes he passes through windows, doors, or walls. They all get included in various ways. It is as if the search committee can't agree, so they decide to hire all of the candidates for the same job. (laughs) But actually, I like that. I, I like that our ancestors in faith are wrestling, just like Jacob did wrestling with the angel wrestling with the mysteries of faith, trying to make sense of it. In a way, that's the brilliance of the Easter Vigil. And thanks to David Piccini for this very helpful summary and and his fantastic Lenten class. For those of you who don't know, David's a member of our congregation and a theology professor. He points out that there are at least five concepts of resurrection swirling in the stories of the vigil. One, the, the restoration of the Davidic dynasty and the recovery of the lost tribes of Judah. That is to stay restoring King David's leadership over the tribes of Israel. Two, Isaiah's rejection of the old rules-based litigious covenant calling for a new covenant of the Spirit. He writes, 
Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Three, Ezekiel's identification of resurrection not with revivication, but with the new breath of God. And that happens in the Valley of Dry Bones with the haunting question, O mortal, can these bones live? And this is the day when the ways of the world want to say, well, no, probably not. They're dead. And yet, in the Easter mystery, they live. We read with joy in Zephaniah the identification of resurrection with a quieting love that establishes a new covenant people. Sing aloud, O daughter Zion. Shout, O Israel, I will remove disaster from you and you shall cry no more. And it culminates in Mark's concept of resurrection as the empty tomb, a translation from earthly to heavenly like we see in the transfiguration, which simply cannot be comprehended. I love the notion of God as mystery, God beyond whatever our minds can wrap around. And so if you find yourself confused about what resurrection means, have a beer! You're in good company. The writers who contribute to the Bible, the prophets, sages, and gospel evangelists, they're confused too. They're wrestling, they're grappling, they're trying to make sense of it as well. And in the end, that's a truth that I feel very comfortable sinking into. Wrestling with the mystery of faith our whole lives long and seeking to answer God's call to live as if this faith mattered. What good is a truth that does not change our lives? And if it changes our lives, then we are called to tell about it by showing forth God's love in our lives, encountering the presence of Jesus, mysterious as it is. And so Harry Attridge concludes with this haunting question, well, what actually happened on Easter Sunday about 2,000 years ago? We will never be able to prove anything. We will never know. It is nothing short of the mystery of faith. But the story of Jesus, his embodiment of self-emptying love, the love of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, the communion of the saints, that center holds. And if all that flew overhead, here's what I'm trying to say. Please don't run from your doubts or questions or wrestling or grappling. Embrace them like Mother Teresa did. This incredible spiritual leader understood the central message of Jesus, which is to love the world until it hurts. Caring for the poor became her life's work. But now we know that she struggled with doubt for at least 50 years, almost the entire time she was none, including when she founded the Missionary Sisters of Charity. She grappled with deep questions of faith. In her journal, published after her death, she writes a letter to God. My God, I question my faith. I dare not utter the words and thoughts that crowd my heart, afraid to uncover them. If there be God, please forgive me. I am told God loves me, and yet the reality of darkness and coldness and emptiness is so great, I feel that nothing is touching my soul. This from one of the great spiritual leaders of our time. 
And I find it especially poignant that she didn't feel she could share those doubts with all those that she led. And yet, her love of God, her quest for God, her doubting and struggling and and wrestling still led her to the kind of clarity that drew pilgrims by the hundreds and thousands to visit her and volunteer with those she led, the Missionary Sisters of Charity. Do you know what she said to people when they asked for her advice? She said, love until it hurts. And I wonder if it hurt her too. And yet, and yet, to this day, as we wake up this morning, more than 4,500 missionary sisters of charity care for the poorest of the poor in 133 countries, led by a great spiritual leader who wrestled with doubt for most of her life. And this, I think, shows us what it means to walk in the way of Jesus. Doubtless, God calls us to a similar faith. And so when you question, when you wonder, when you doubt, you don't have to run from it. You can bring your full self to those questions. Embrace them. Talk about them. Read about them. Learn about them. Allow God to touch your heart and mind and deepen your faith Have a beer or other age-appropriate liquid refreshment and know that you're keeping some very good company with the prophets and sages and gospel evangelists who tell us the sacred story of what it means to follow God and to be God's people in the world. Therefore, we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Alleluia, alleluia, and amen.